What's happening? It's that boy, Young Queens. This is another episode of 10 Can Phone. Today, you know, I got the gang with me. Joe, what's happening? <laughs> what's going on, Queens? Man, I'm just happy to be sitting here with you guys. I mean, Armand yes, and Michael, it's great to see you guys, man. How are you doing, Armand? You know, little Joe, I'm doing my thing. I'm holding in. This is Armand Poos, Poos Face, the artist formerly known as Armand Poos Bazan. Mike, how you doing over there? Living the dream? You know, living the dream is what I say. I've lately been saying uh, living and breathing because the dream is, is slightly beyond my fingertips and is, is maybe even a metric for what we're talking about today. Queez, what, what are we doing today? I I I ten can phone in this month. Hey, um, today, man, we're gonna talk about the importance. I want to bring light to the importance of transitioning. I want to bring light to the importance of being focused, aware, conscious, and, and subject for change upon coming home. So today, 10 can phone, 30 days out. Phone, Mike and Armand, Joe, Queez, we the ones that you can depend on to bring the voices from the inside out. Lie down, but they not locked out. No filter over here. Check what we be talking about. Feet up in the trenches, Bob. While you're on defenses, metal detector before you enter. Shaky medical and see your stitches. They be pushing their weight around. Educate, didn't have the time to wait around. Taking classes while they played around. That's what we call staying down. What we call staying down. That's what we call staying down. Mike, Armand, Joe. Quiz. Dang, this is 10 k phone. 30 days out, baby. 30 days out. Um, and I, I, I just want to say, please, you mean 30 days out of prison, right? Yeah. I was okay. thinking that too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, you don't know. 10 can phone right. from where? What's going on? Inside out. From in and out, in and out. 30 days in, 30 days out. <laughs> we speaking on the out stove. And Joe, I'm coming straight to you. Okay. You the fresh is out. <laughs> you just about you. Hey, you just about at that thirty or a little bit more. So, so exactly, exactly, how, Joe. How many days out of prison are you? I got out on June twenty second, and today is August first of twenty twenty. So it's roughly six weeks, thirty six days, maybe, maybe a little less. I don't know. Yeah, but it's it's nothing like I imagined it would be. <laughs> um, I have actually been telling people recently that, like, because somebody somehow got into the conversation with me about how I value myself or how I, uh, she asked me, like, what, you know, well, don't, didn't you feel good getting out of prison? And I hadn't thought about it, but everybody tells you before you get out that you're going to feel like a million bucks. That's what I heard all the time. And uh, I felt, like, dispensable when I was walking mm. out. I felt like I could, you know, just be used up and sort of di like discarded. When you say that, I can't grasp fully what that means. Like why or like, I mean, who's how, well, I guess. So how a person imagines they will appraise themselves when they're released and they earn their freedom back. They imagine that they, I mean, I imagined I would have all of this value, I guess, in, in my potential. Like I was, I felt like I was resting on all this potential that I built up throughout my years in prison. 
and that like getting out would launch me into like what, like a, a platform to use that potential to raise it up and cultivate it. And I walked out with like my plastic bag full of possessions, you know, like an oatmeal box carrying old letters and some like vinyl bag that my underwear came in that I was using to like hold envelopes. Like all just these silly things, a coffee mug is moldy now at my grandparents' house. And I felt like, like I was, you know, (laughs) and I felt like I was being sold at like an on, like a sale price. Hmm. And then, so, so real quick, so Joe and everyone that at home are new listening to the tin can phone, Joe went in uh, to prison at 18 years old. And he had just been released now. How, how, how does, what does math work, Joe? How old are you? I'm 23. So it was five years. So he did from 18 to 23 locked up. And this young man is, is, is going through his experience of, of, of coming home. Is. And let's Michael. contextualize a little bit. And even, I mean, I'm sure I've heard the story, but, or at least I know the arc in a way. Where did you go first? You know, like what what institutions and what were those institutions? Oh, okay. What was your tour? See, in the incarcerated world, which yeah, I don't want to Lingo, what's up? Lingo, up? We, we call it a tour because the prison, what they like to do is wherever you're from, they're going to try to send you the furthest away from there. Because again, where you're from and being at that institution becomes a carrot dangled over your head. You want to be close to your family. You want to be close to get visits. You got to be good. You got to do this. You got to finish this program. So we call it a tour because usually when you come to prison, you're not going to stay at one nor the one that's closest to where you're from. So we just, what, what, what was your tour like? You feel me? Like, like well, it's, it's exactly, it's exactly like you just described, but before I go on, I just want the listeners to understand the difference. Like when you say it's, it was a tour, it might make people think of like a tour on active duty in the military. And it's just like, I just don't want anybody to, I guess, deviate from what, you're trying to say, Queez, because it's so no, it's so different from that kind of tour. No, but it's, it's like not, a, though. But, it, but it's, it's not, not, though. Because yeah, we, not. See, I'm a repeat offender. Mind you, this is Rockstar Queez, Misfit Adi. I'm a repeat offender, right? So every time I go to the pen, it's another tour for me because it is a war zone. I got gang ties, you feel me? I not yeah. only gang ties, I got street ties, I got organization ties. So when I go to the pen, it is a tour because we going to war. You feel me? Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm one of the guys that I've been a part of four different riots. I've spent over 18 months, probably two years in solitary confinement in my whole time. So it is, I'm, when we say a tour, we mean it just like going to Iraq. Or I know, just like- and I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, this little point that I brought up, but I, I do want to say that like, it differs from a tour in the military in the, the fact that, for one, like you didn't elect to do this yourself. You were sent there and you're not, you're not standing up for a nation or like the fake hate of a nation's cause. You have nothing to, to believe in, but like your own survival. And like you, you are not, you're on a tour alone. Like mm-hmm. there's hardly any, hardly any comrades with you. Mm-hmm. And even those ones are just, just, it's like it's some fickle relationship that yes. is, only exists because you live next to the guy. Yes. So yeah, like you're, you're not a part of a nation. You're not coming from anywhere besides another lost place. And that's why I, I have a hard time seeing it as a tour, like one in the military. It's interesting because I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of when Quiz mentioned tour. 
I mean, A was I'm from familiar with with various prison jargons, but was new to me and really was just thinking of it like as a or like a guided tour, like you know, moving around. Um, but kind of the the layers is certainly interesting. And before you describe your tour, I wanted to share with the audience. So Joe's 23. 23 is young and a confusing time in the best <laughs> of circumstances, but also was thinking as you were kind of describing the corollary between prison lingo tour and the normative tour at war, how kind of profound and wise uh, our young Joe is. So um, yeah, <laughs> listen with that um, in your mind. Anyway, where did you go and when? So I first went to Washington County Jail on June 25th. That's when I got arrested. That was my first experience ever going to jail, ever being in handcuffs, ever being in the back of a police car. And I was, I just think of myself as like brain dead. Like imagine being put in a situation with your brain shut off and people asking you to like, to still live and function and provide for yourself. That's how I felt. Because they, they don't really break down the rules when you go to jail, they just tell you what you can't do. Mm. And so you don't really know what you need, like what you need to do. You don't really know what you should do. And like, I remember being handed like a roll of clothes and a blanket and like a little plastic bag with a toothpaste and a toothbrush. And they said, walk down the hall to pod four. And uh, like, I, man, everybody was looking at me like I was, like entire just like a suspicious and yeah that was my first place i was was, i was that was like before your arraignment or whatever yeah that was where i was like that's where they hold you before they bring you to your arraignment and your preliminary hearing and your uh like some pre-trial conference and then you have uh after the pre-trial conferences when they do that like plea bargaining and it's, I mean, it's, it's calling it bargaining because mm-hmm. I just imagine like a lawyer and a DA eating salad together, discussing like, you know, Bro, like, they play the, Monopoly with our life. That's how they do well, it. The, your lawyer is like, he's in between chewing on his salad with blue cheese dressing. He's trying to like do damage control while the DA is like, no, man, f- that guy. And your lawyer is like, well, yeah, I know. I mean, he's like, f- him, but come on, like, Give me a break here. Give me a break on this deal and I'll kind of back off on that other one. Right. And, uh, and you're just like that whole time, if you could just juxtapose an image of me and myself while that conversation's going on, it would seem so pathetic that I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs, like wondering if lunch will come sooner than I expect it to. <laughs> and, or that it willing that I, sooner than I'm willing to wait. But anyway, I mean, that was my I- first... That's a really interesting portrait to paint and is interesting in this kind of contemporary dialogue about prison and abolition and its corollary to slavery. And that is like part of one of the deeper nuances as I continue to advance my own kind of knowledge and awareness around that and the black experience and like a lot of the way it's kind of discussed in, in certain contexts is they just, they refer to it in its whole entity, which is chattel slavery, which is kind of like both the purchase and sale of, of people and bodies, black bodies, and also kind of this ability to essentially, I don't even know. It was, well, 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 exactly what it is. I'll tell you what, Charles, it was the first time that slavery was in which 
personal property over human. So it was the first time that slaves had had been as far as like an uh, economic property and then completely dehumanized. Well, yeah, and I think that I kind of the point I I was going to make is that essentially these like white men are walking through looking look you know whatever checking teeth and poking and prodding bodies but the specific point of it is that they are also because of property or whatever reason uh legally permitted to like rape and breed these slaves or people for the purposes of essentially economic gain and so as when joe was telling his story it's just interesting right because they people talk about prison being modern day slavery and essentially how like probably mostly white men negotiating over people and time and and these whole lives over salad well and and you have to imagine too that i don't know if it's openly discussed between a lawyer and a da because that doesn't it's not relevant to their either of their goals but like there is a financial element to these plea agreements and the time that is given to people that there, there is an economic impact and gain somewhere happening and like i said it doesn't maybe happen over that salad but uh, when you discuss slavery and how it fits in the, how it was like, I mean, it was a part of the economy. Right. And I guess still is because it's like some, we're going through some surreptitious form of slavery, some underhanded, like guys of a criminal. Yeah. yeah there's, or anyway. About a terrible thing. And yeah, just want to, move through your uh your tour so we can continue to reflect on um yeah we sure do get away from that don't we not, not that i mind <laughs> many pitfalls fall in in this context <laughs> but well, there's just so many things you'd like to talk about yeah. anyway the one thing we are here to talk about i was at washington county jail for about four and a half months and that was a whole like trauma in itself because not only was i like wondering where the hell i was going to end up but I had all these people who were schooling me for where I was going to go. Like all these guys and they were white guys because we were racially segregated. And like these older white men immediately told me that I was to like be crowded with them, grouped with them. And uh, they were telling me how to behave once I got to prison. And I was always trying to tell these guys like, no, I'm not going to prison. I'm not going to prison. And of course I was the one who didn't know any better. And I ended up going, but like they were, schooling me for this tour so to speak or preparing me for it and not because they were looking out for me but because they wanted me to conform to the way life is supposed to be lived once you get there and uh so i got i took i signed a plea agreement for five years and uh, i remember that day i came back from meeting with my lawyer sat on my bed and my celly was like well, what was that about and i said well i just signed a, a deal for five years and he was like well record deal uh, sort of. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that the, the time was recorded. On, my time was recorded on a document called a 400. All of my purchase history in prison that they used against me. But um, no, I I told my celly that I had five years, and I was like dangling my feet over the bed, and I did not feel the impact like I thought I was like supposed to. And I had a hearing where I was sentenced, and they sent me off to the intake center, which is Coffee Creek which, you know, at least three of us here know about, but Michael and, and the audience. Oh, you've been there? I have been. Awesome. That's where they well, train no, us. No, not yeah. awesome, maybe. To deal hey. with dangerous criminals. Don't. That's where they train us. Bite your fingers. 
that's where they train us also, but in a, in a different way. <laughs> um, it's the intake center. It's where they send you for about roughly 30 days uh, before you get sent to where you're going to do a bulk of your time. And they, they just, you get like generic clothing and not even a pair of shoes. You get sandals to wear and like a small bar of soap, the size of a domino and a bottle of shampoo, a toothbrush and a tube of clear mint toothpaste and, and five envelopes. And that's all you have for 30 days. Besides, of course, you know, you're getting like your meals three times a day. And, uh, I only get, you only get three half hours out a day. And I mean, it's in the beginning of your time. So like everybody there is like grappling with what they have to prepare themselves for. Like you can't become immediately, you can't just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I have to do this. Like it's every day you're struggling with what you have to do and like calculating the time, imagining it, sectioning it off into little pieces that seem digestible. And, uh, I got into a fight at coffee Greek with my neighbor and it's a, it was a foolish situation that didn't need to happen. I, I felt, I imagined that I needed to go through it because of the way that people looked at me. And, uh, I went and fought this guy and I went to the hole for 30 for 25 days. And I was in the hole at coffee Creek for two weeks before they sent me to snake river. And I thought it was going to be okay. I thought, you know, okay, oh, I already did two weeks in the hole and it wasn't so bad. And I got to snake river and they, they brought me into this, like, like it looked like an outpost building through some side door and all around was just the like white sand of the desert and some dunes with like burned out trees in the distance. And we go into this building and it's all white. And they put me in like a little four by four room and make me strip naked and give me new clothes. And they take me into this room. that's so dark. It's like a dungeon. I mean, there's not even, there's lights in the ceiling, but it seems like there's not even a candle lit. And, uh, there's like bars over the windows of the cell door. And when they put me in there, I sat down and had like less possessions in my life than I've ever had before. A toothbrush, not even longer than my thumb and like a cup of baking soda to brush with. And, uh, I spent two weeks there and like listening to people shout at me on the tier because people would ask me if I was new and what I was in prison for and like try to like rile me up and it's like antagonized situations and drama where everyone's just like yelling through a crack in their door. And I heard people discussing the life, like the mainstream life outside of the hole in general population. And I just, I, I kept sitting on my bed in my cell, which you know, you're 20, 24 hour lockdown. You don't get to leave. And I just kept wondering, like, how am I going to fit into that? What is like, what are these, they were using slang. And I was just wondering, what, are, what does that even mean? What are they even saying? Half of the things I heard, I didn't even know how to picture or imagine. And then I was just, thrown up into general population and my first my first day at snake river uh, after the hole i walked onto this unit and the ceo looked at me the, the officer and he was like what gang are you in and i said none and he laughed at me and he goes which one are you going to be in who are you, who are you going to be a torpedo for and i said nobody and he like just looked away for a minute and sighed and it's like he just didn't even believe me and uh, he sent me off to me. He's like, all right, you're in cell 28. And I walked up there and people were like shouting at me, looking at me. You could see like every single face in the glass looking as I walked up the stairs and it was horrible. Like you, I felt like I was in an arena. And 
I mean, I, I walked up to my, in my cell and I was there by myself and I sat down and I had no idea what was, what was going to come. And I mean, I'm not going to get into too, too detailed like narrative about every day after that, but I ended up getting into another fight but, uh, and doing 30 days in the hole. But finally made it out and adjusted into a life that I was able to maintain for several years. And I was at Snake River for about three years and doing well at the end of that. I had worked several different jobs. I had just gotten a job in like this brand new unit. It was like this like privileged, privileged housing unit and I got moved to complex one, which is like the easiest place. Like, you know, you have to have like a year and a half clear conduct to be over there. So nobody gets in trouble. It's really easy. Nobody bothers each other. I was there for like two weeks and they rolled me up to go. They told me I was going to minimum and I asked them if I could stay. I asked them if I could stay at snake river and they, they were kind of confused. Like, no, you, you can't, you have to go. And I was like, but I've lived my life here for three years. I know how to do it here. I know that my days will pass here because they already have. There's evidence for it. Mm-hmm. And I, like, you got you to gotta let me. And they said, no, it's like you, you're, it's in the computer. Like it's to- been told to us from the Capitol. So I went the next morning and ended which up is, at Deer Ridge. Which Go is ahead. interesting that you don't have a choice. Um, even though, because you were even though it's kind of like a meant to be a reprieve, it's interesting that you don't have a choice. Yeah. It, yeah. It's people are normally excited for transport. Um, I mean, I knew I was before it happened. And then it, when it finally came to me and they, they said, this is what's happening. I, I tried my best to, to reject it. Uh, anyway, after that, I went to Madras a place called Deer Ridge and I stayed there for three months before I was transferred to another minimum in Portland called Columbia River Correctional Institution which is where we all met at CRCI and this is that's where this project started and I was there for about six months before I got in trouble and went to the hole and I was just so fucked up about going to the hole and I felt like I made so much progress we made this podcast I was in these social justice groups and Art, the art class, art and social practice, which is where we met and did other things besides this podcast. Uh, and I, I was also at a privileged housing unit there. Like I, I just refused to go back. And of course that was another, that raised my custody level, refusing to get out of the hole. And I, they sent me to Pendleton, Eastern Oregon Correctional Institution. And I was there for about four months or six months. And, uh, that was a whole awful experience by itself. The most violent prison I've been to numerous occasions. You'd walk into the chow hall and there's already like a three person brawl happening where you're like eating your pancakes in the morning, trying to swallow them as be- the best you can and chew them because that's a, it's a task. And you know, people behind you just start, there's a erupt, erupting in violence and there's you have to like choke down the rest of your meal, trying not to breathe in the pepper spray. Wow. Luckily, I luckily I didn't get into any any problems there. And then for my last six months, they, they for my last six months they sent me to OSCI, Oregon State Correctional mm-hmm. Institution, and I was there from this last December in 2019 to June 22nd, and that was probably the most awful experience I had through my my whole incarceration. But that's not this conversation. So that sounds like a conversation. This conversation's coming home. 
Queens, I know you have things to say. Um, but your first 30 days out, Queens, uh, I mean, you, you've done multiple tours. So I think, I guess, giving context to, to more so this, this conversation is Young Joe didn't have any street ties, if you understand me. The audience at home understands this. Joe didn't have no street ties. He wasn't about that life in the sense that he didn't, he was naive to what he was getting into um, and what he was dealing with. Yeah. I know something you spoke upon, again, this is not my politics because I, I, we run, I ran a different type of way of, of doing life before I went to prison. Yeah. Um, but I also did not have any exclusive ties to any organizations. So I think uh, uh, from that context, you understand the idea of, of like almost what an honor it can be to, to, to get that first, you know, tour out the way. Yeah. Uh, opposed to Joe, who is going in as an independent white guy with no context and, and, and looking like fresh money and look at even the, even the corrections officers. If you notice mm -hmm. said that Joe's looking like he's going to be a torpedo. For mm -hmm. those that don't know what a torpedo is, crash dummy, they got, again, different ways to stay from wherever you're from. But like, mm -hmm. that means you look like a young person that these other people will take advantage of to do violence against others that they mm -hmm. have other agendas against. And that's something obviously you see a lot of. Mm -hmm. So I guess I wanted to bring it back to you, Queez, too, and, and, and coming home and how I guess you've done multiple tours. Yeah. So I guess give us a thought. You don't have to take us all the way through your tours in this episode. Yeah. But like, but give like your thought process of coming home in each of those tours. So it's different for me. Um, I respect and I do understand Joe's um, journey because it wasn't a tour, it was a journey for him. Um, but I come from a, a hardball lane on the streets. I do come from a gang culture, but in prison, not only gang culture, because that kind of, it is existence, but it's a race culture too though. And um, I come from a place where you can't even gain certain stripes until you walk a yard. You can't even get so high in your organization until you've done so much time on the prison yard, right? So me coming in, it was automatically a war zone. And to, to better, so anytime you get moved to a different prison, the only worries is, am I gonna know anybody? Is it gonna be cool? Like who here? Like all these things is because of you trying to escape war, violence. Feel me? Where we at with it? I'm coming looking for that. So for Queens, I fell out of Monoma County. I'm from Sacramento, California, but I fell out of Monoma County, which is Portland, Oregon. And that's a war zone within itself. Um, I'm coming into a situation of politics that's not my gang, not my hood, not even my state. But when I, you know, it's the law of attraction. What you put off is what you're going to get. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you feel me? I'm out here like that. So I'm going to automatically attract the people that's out here like that. And when we get to prison, my whole thing, as soon as I get to jail, hey, who got the keys? Keys being who's in charge or who's the spokesperson for each race and who's running the unit for that race. My mentality, who got the keys in here? You feel me? Because I want to I wanna holler at whoever got the keys for the blacks. And me and him going to do one or two things. We're going to get an understanding and I'm going to hold the keys with you or me and you got to go take care of that and I'm going to take the keys from you. Only two things that could happen here, right? That's county. 
once you get to that main line, it moves a little different because of politics. But all in all, it's still a war. Like I've been a part of four riots, my guy. I've been a part of four race riots. It's a war against others and the and the police. You right. feel me? So when I say I took a, I went on a tour. Like I really went on a tour because every institution I hit, we getting it popping. Like I, I didn't get the luxury to just you know come to prison and just fit in or or just find my place. I couldn't do that because my first bid, your neighborhood. Uh, people who's been in prison before you, you gonna get judged by these things. So it wasn't me coming to prison like, oh, that's Quiz from Sacramento. Let's judge him off of him. No, that's yeah. Quiz from G Parkway. You know, I ran into one of them G Parkway before and wop, 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 wop. So I got to react to his interaction with somebody from my organization before I ever met this dude. Right. I got to look know, at... Go ahead, Mike. When we keep on like referring to these things as a tour, I, I finally... Like got a got a hold of what I was thinking about earlier. It's weird to think uh, because when you're when you're a prisoner, yeah. like you're you're not on your home turf. But at the same time, like if we're thinking about it as a war zone, you are the occupied army. the The officers are the occupying army. They're the mm-hmm. ones coming in from outside. So yeah. it's weird to think of a tour. Like when you're on a tour, you're usually the occupying army. But you are you in prison. You are the occupied, and you're I still on a tour. Up. The CO, Does that make sense? Yes, it do, Joe. But this is what you got to understand. The COs don't exist to us. You feel me? Like, the COs do whatever they do, whatever. Like, bro, they don't, they, see, and this is the difference. They don't run over here. So the COs can say whatever they want. They can try to book us. You see my is getting sell in, going to the hole. Bro, don't mean nothing. The COs know better. So if you notice, Joe, COs approach me different. COs approach the top no, I dudes. Remember. I remember. They approach it different because they come to us like, look, we know it's trouble between this dude and this dude or this race and this race. Hey, could y'all get it together? Because they know they can't. They know they can't. So they're going to come to the that's really in power and like, hey, we need y'all to get this together. Are we going to shut this whole motherfucker down? That's their mindset, right? So for other people, they're going to bully. They're going to push up on. They're going to they gonna do all that. But when they know that they're dealing with a group of people who you know, most of them probably got life anyway. Some of us got six, eight, nine, ten years, measure 11, day for day. What you gonna come tell me and me not punch you in your fucking face? <laughs> this is for CO though. You feel me? But yeah. on top of that, respect. You get respect by the way you move and CO's gonna address you accordingly. I'm not no clown, busy, weird dude. You feel me? So the CO know they could come have a conversation with me. I've never had an indication where somebody thought I was snitching or somebody thought I was telling because I held a conversation with a CO because my record and who I am shows that I can have a conversation with the oppressor and um, not be giving up any information. Another no, you're not about, compromised. Yeah. And another thing about tours is, and you notice too, whenever I talk to the CO, you there, being there, like there's somebody there that can hear or an earshot that can hear what's going on. Cause that's how it is in California. You don't talk to the CEOs by yourself. You don't go to no counselor office by yourself. You don't do that. You got to take somebody with you, bro. Cause somebody got to witness this. But again, it's, it's, it's different. Now, hold on, Joe. Now, mind you this, right? Go ahead. Most people, when they choose to go to the army, they're young. They don't know what they're doing in their life. They're lost. So let me go to the army or let me go to the Marines to, 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 to try to find some direction and structure in my life, right? They send you to prison when you're young, naive, and lost. And they want to give you some direction in your life. They're going to send you to prison. 
Now, you go to the war, you fight the war, you stand up for your country, you probably get hooked on heroin or some kind of drugs, you get dishonorable discharge, you come home, you don't have nothing, you don't have nothing, like they don't teach you, all they teaching you is kill, kill, kill. So when you come home from the army and you come home as a vet, most of the time they're fucked up mentally and physically, right? You go to the pen. They don't teach you nothing. You go in there, you fight, you stab, you survive. You come home with nothing. You feel me? Unless you search education. But you come home with nothing but battle wounds, PTSD, and need and, and serious need of therapy. Nightmares too. Don't forget it's that. It's a tour, my like, If you think about it, they line up with exactly you know what you go in and, and but what you come out with. Like me, and when I came home, my only thought, my only thought was, how long I'm gonna make it this time, bro? Oh, like, how long I'm gonna make it this time? Because for me, being free is a vacation. Being free on the streets is like, okay, let me just see what kind of, let me see what I could, let me see if I can put these things to use that I learned in the pen. And if not, then I'm gonna go back to the pen and learn some more. So the prison has became home to me. I just did 10 years. Prison has became home to me. The streets is me taking a vacation. Right. So me coming home, I was just thinking, how long I'm gonna last this time? I'm gonna go thug, I'm gonna go incorporate some of these new um, crimes and these things that I learned. How, how long I'm gonna stay free? Am I gonna stay free? My thought was, am I gonna listen to parole this time? Oh no, them. And I think- But then when I came home, you know, I came home and I was just like, I held my, now mind you, I was incarcerated for my daughter being born. I held my daughter when she was three weeks old. And at that moment I said, you know what? Hey, she need me. Hey, every one of my decisions is going to affect this little girl. I, I got I to be there. You feel me? And that was my turnaround. It wasn't nothing prison did. It wasn't no school, no classes. It wasn't none of that. It was me seeing my daughter and realizing when I looked into her eyes that she's the only person in this world that really needs me and that my decisions will really, really affect the way they life turn out. And that's what made me say, you know what? Hey, I'm good, bruh. I'm going to still be where I'm at. I still represent what I represent. Never dropped out. Never been X'd out. Never, like, none of that, none of that crazy stuff be going on. My guys respect me because of how I push, how I dealt with these tours, how I dealt with this time. And uh, they respect me and say, you know what? You already did that. Like, my kids give us gang. Like, they just want to come and talk to me. Joe, you witnessed this. They just want to come and conversate with me. They just want me to, to just talk to them. I don't got to go jump out and do no crazy shit to prove to somebody who I am. And that's what people do in prison. They lose themselves trying to prove to other people who they are, or they try to act super tough so they don't get punked. But when you act super tough, it's somebody that's really super tough that's going to want to test that. Again, Misfit Adi said it. Shouts out Kevin Gates. Be yourself. It is cheaper that way. Because those that are like you are going to gravitate to you. And those that don't, aren't. They're not going to gravitate to you because they're not like you. Be yourself. It's cheaper that way. Oh, God. So our experiences was different, Joe. And I apologize for not really understanding. I felt cut off when I kept trying to explain with a tour. No, and that's what okay. I it, and I just felt like it wasn't an understanding that was I, going on with what I meant. But I'm I, glad I would have cleared that up. I'm, I'm glad that we both expressed our idea of the tour and like how it relates to us differently. Just for, I guess, for the audience. And also, yeah. we usually have some good discussions like this where we don't disagree about something, but it's not an argument. Hey, but as uh, far as coming home, though, um, I need the audience to know, like, Anybody that's dealt with or held somebody down or have been in a relationship with um, an incarcerated individual or previously incarcerated individual, um, 
there's a lot of trauma that goes on. Not a lot of trauma, but a lot of normalized trauma. We normalize the, the, the horrific things that goes on in there. And we carry those things home with us. So please try to understand that grocery shopping, fast food, restaurant ordering, um, decision making, um, these things are challenging. Because when we yeah. want to grow shopping, we fill out a paper and it comes to us. We fill out a paper and turn it in and it comes to us. When we want to choose what we're going to eat, open up your box. Just open up your locker. We'll make These a are the things you have to choose from. And as far as decision making, the only decision we have to make is what we watching on TV that night and if we're going to get up and go work out that day or if we're going to go educate ourselves. So please, if you're dealing with anybody that's previously incarcerated or incarcerated, no matter how mentally strong they are, no matter how you know advanced you think they are, you have to take your time with us because um, we're sensitive creatures coming out of this place. And, and sometimes our decision-making isn't as fast as you think it should be. Sometimes we have a hard time grocery shopping because we don't know all the different brands. All I know is get me the meat, get me the chicken. I don't know what brand of chicken. I don't know what package. I don't know. Just chicken, just get chicken. You feel me? It's, it's funny that you, you bring a lot of this up because in my first 30 days out, which is still very new, like people would always ask me like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I don't know where there is to go. Please answer Absolutely. that question for me. They're like, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know what there is to eat. I would always be like, I'd be like, well, let's get some oatmeal and some beans, which is all that, which is what you eat in prison. Yeah. And, and so like, I, I came home with like, I shopped at the bulk section at Winco and brought home like a bunch of oatmeal and beans and rice mm-hmm. and raisins, which are all things that you can buy in prison. My grandparents were like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I don't know what there is to eat. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what to buy. There's all these different things. What the, I, what the, f- and, uh, and as, as far like, I don't know, people, under, people expect you to be restored to your humanity yeah. and your, your rationale. So, like so we got, they, they in my ear, Joe, they're telling us we only got a couple minutes left, like 10 or 20 minutes. Um, there's two things I want to do before we wrap up. Armand, I want to hear a little bit about your journey because it's interesting. And, but first, <laughs> before that, I want Armand to take this out of here. Michael, I want to know, um, what are your thoughts on or how have you felt about like um because you've watched us come home you've watched numerous of us come home in a sense like you've seen us on the inside and out um what do you what do you think just from hearing and being inside of there and 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 witnessing remember i always speak on you being a witness Mm -hmm. how do you like what do you think um the mindset of somebody coming home from let's just say five years like how do you think in your perception, if I tell you, Mike, I'm coming home, bro, um, what is your thought on that instantly? As soon as I tell you, like, I'm coming home, hey, what's up? What we doing, Mike? It's in your hands type of thing. What is good, your thought on good, that? Good question, Quisha. Yeah, Mike, what would you, what, as, a, as a civilian, what would you think after someone just said, hey, they're coming home after five years? So, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and in my, like, three years so far of working with folks who are coming out of institutions, I definitely have seen like a wide range of like coming home feeling. And ultimately it seems unilaterally challenged, um, whether by like via the individual or like just the various circumstances that they're facing. Um, I've also, I guess, experienced the like very normative or at least 
Like, and I don't even want to normalize it, but I want to say it's statistically consistent where folks come out and go back in. Yes. Uh, so I have seen that. I've seen folks kind of like have either mental health breaks or um, to kind of like fall back onto substance use. Mm-hmm. I've seen folks like they get a job and that job is like a vampire just sucking them dry, whether by time or or context. I've seen people be disrespected by their employers. Um, but I also, yeah, I mean, I think the individual experience and we kind of like are in the middle of grappling with some of that, you know, for Joe here on the panel is like this. And I think this happens a lot. There's like excitement. And, and as Joe said, like people feeling like a million bucks when they get out and then kind of like hitting the situation where like, it's, it's not like overconfidence seems like a derogatory assessment but it is this form of confidence and excitement that then when rubber meets the road and is like maybe not even their own shortcoming, but just the world really like the road is not even there and the car is just still falling. Like, am I going to hit road in a minute or not? And, you know, when road hits, it's like you're already falling at 100 miles an hour and you just get smashed. And it seems like those situations that push people back to their old problems and habits, like, you know, Mark, who knows where that man is right now. Yes. He came out and he was like, this is my last time. I'm doing good. Focus on my mental health. I got my phone. That was stressful. I'm just chilling at home for the rest of the day. And we got to a point where we, where he was ready to like go do some standup and it was wild. I have some photos from that time. He kind of, he like was expecting his jokes to hit like they were on the inside, but it's interesting because on the inside dudes like knew him. Right. And they were like, Oh, this is Mark really doing his thing and and then you know when he was on stage and he had that very real and normal kind of like people aren't really trying to laugh until you really like hand it to him and he like afterwards he just was kind of sweating bullets and he was like that was hard you know and he wasn't really prepared for the reality of it you know so hyped that he wasn't really prepared for the reality um and you know it's not a problem but it kind of was something that he was hoping to be able to lean on mm-hmm. to like provide support. And it just was normal hard. Right. But for someone yeah. who's facing historic trauma, a lack of comfort and familiarity with the whole situation, um, it's hard and not as gratifying as it seems. And I don't think comedy specifically is related to Mark's relapse, but Absolutely. it's just an example of something that's very normal that can create a situation that's ultimately totally destabilizing um, and then compounded with lack of support or even with support, the maximum resources you have are limited. Um, and then ultimately like Mark does, did have a former wife and, and children and like those people, whether they are aware of it or not, or even willing or unwilling to hold, hold space for ultimately mm-hmm. has folks more or less dealing with their stuff alone. So that's kind of like the broad synopsis of what yeah. coming home might be like. Uh, so to, to just, Cause I know Mark also, and his story is a perfect story. Um, before we get to Armand to take a song home, um, yeah, they're in my ear telling me this shit, but I'm gonna say what I need to say and get to Armand. Um, we, when we're inside, we have concrete plans, and ain't nothing gonna stop these plans when I get home. Cause I done, I done thought about this every day for five years, and um, when that one plan don't go that's usually when you see the the spiral and um 
Mark was comfortable not understanding that a lot of people was laughing at him, not with him. Yeah. And uh, I was one of the guys who tried to explain to him that, bro, you funny because you look funny and you're funny because this is what we expect <laughs> from you. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, cause we had the conversation about, I see him on the outside. We went to VOA together. We went to treatment together. And, um, I had these conversations with him. Like, it's going to be different. It's going to be different because these people don't know you. So they're not going to get you. And, um, I didn't know what happened from that point. Once I graduated and went on, I didn't know what happened. And now I do. But yeah, we get these one concrete plans that people tell us it's going to work and we're going to stick with it because it worked in prison. And when that don't happen, it usually sends us on a downward spiral. Um, before we get out of here, I would like to hear from Armand um, anything you would like to say about, you know, your first 30 days coming home or just the mindset of the people who, who had to deal with you, not the people you had to deal with, but the people who had to deal with you and try to, um, you know, probably find yourself in a position where they didn't understand why you couldn't make a certain decision or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like, as I was saying, like, on a, a real practical level, like, even doing 13 months, which, again, it's sad, but that's considered, like, in the system's eyes, that's, like, baby time. Mm-hmm. But even coming in and doing 13 months, as I've told you guys before, um, a gentleman was there with my family, to greet me and ask for my number. And I, I said, Where, where's the pen and pencil at? They're like, no, <laughs> bro, we, we have cell phones now. I was like, yeah. what is, oh, those are, ah, oh, that's a thing. I forgot about that. Um, and then I remember not even wanting to interact with the, the phone itself. Like, just like, get this thing out, like out of my face. Like I'm, 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 I'm in, in, in what it was, it was just like, years of trauma meets just like just like welcome back and for me i was i couldn't see that at the time but i was at my parents house which i hadn't been at my i I, i'm i'm looking back now where i'm at my life i'm blessed to have a a mom and a dad Mm -hmm. i'm blessed but at the time i was like bro i haven't been here since i was a teenager absolutely 27 year old grown man at his mama's house having it like dealing yeah. with dealing with their substance abuse their way of lifestyle their certain unhealthy habits and now i'm trying to say better myself mm-hmm. around all this and it's just like then you start I, re- I remember retreating back and just being like bro you ain't the man no more all that stuff you had is gone yeah. all the material items gone the whole apartment yeah. gone everything uh-huh. girl you got that one gone. Let's do another one. But I, I wasn't living in a grateful place at that, at that moment, you know? Absolutely. And it took me months before I hit certain walls with, you know, substances. Yes. And, and, and had lapses where, you know, not to say something, to say something that I could be back. They got time hanging over my head. They got, 60, they got 60 months hanging over my head. And sometimes I've walked around like that's not even that's not even there like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when I know besides the, the time over the head, if I'm not living righteous, if I'm not living a righteous life, whatever that means to me, I'm not going to get where I want. Absolutely. Um, so it. Again, back to the just the, the first thirty days out. Yes, I was confused by technological things and 
Mm-hmm. Did, did not know what to order at a restaurant. I could not pick anything for easily a month. And I didn't know where to go for food. And I, I, I was on autopilot. Then I, and thank God I had some pieces by, I, uh, yeah, it took me kind of a long place to just even be grateful that I wasn't completely victim to like how bad it could be. You know what I mean? As far as coming out with absolutely ain't zero, like not even a friend. There are people that get out there with not even someone to call. Absolutely. So I was just blessed. I just, I blessed. I just knew how lucky I was not to be that person. Um, yes, that's, my, that's my take, you know? Absolutely. Thank you for that, Armand. We appreciate it. Hey, man, this is 10 Can Fall, man. This is Gang. This is your guy, Misfit Adi. We'll be back with another episode. Ah! Hey, can you get fun? You are listening to the Tin Can Phone Podcast, where you can hear about the influence incarceration has straight from the source. We tell the story from the inside out. So make sure to check us out on KBU Community Radio every first Tuesday at 10 a.m. You can also check us out on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you catch your podcasts. And make sure to give us a follow over at TinCanPhonePodcast.com. See you next time.